Hi there. I'm Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss. I have a little bit of a cold, if you can hear it. I'm your host for this week's episode of Girlboss Radio. Have you ever wondered how to find a mentor, give yourself a seat at the table, or break into the magazine business? Then you're in luck because our guest today can help with that. Elaine Welteroth is an award-winning journalist, author, and the former editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. Elaine broke into the magazine business with tenacity, talent, and a desire to shake things up, and she's done just that. Elaine pioneered a lot of new things at Condé Nast in her time at Teen Vogue and has now moved on to pursue her own passions and has a book coming out very soon, which we're going to talk a little bit about. Learning that I was the first black beauty director in Condé Nast history was the first time that I actually saw myself as an agent for change and saw myself in a position to represent for people who had never had you know, a, a quote-unquote seat at that table before. So welcome to Girl Boss Radio, the show for and about ambitious women exploring the wins, losses, and insights learned on the winding road to success. From my chat with Elaine, you'll learn how to turn adversity into purpose, pursue multiple dreams, and break into the magazine business. Here's our conversation. Hey, Lane. Welcome to Girl Boss Radio. Hey, Sophia. How are you? I'm good. So I start every episode now with the same question mm. because we all have our start. Mm -hmm. And yours was in the Bay Area, right? Yes. Uh, I'm curious. What was your first job? Oh, my gosh. My first job was I was the dancing B at Hometown Buffet. So across the street from the mall, there was Hometown Buffet, which is like this restaurant that all my best friends worked at. We call ourselves the Solid Six. And to this day, we're still best friends in seventh grade. And we all got jobs there and we were all servers. And I was the only one who got to wear like the mascot outfit. And I would just get these. As soon as I put on the B costume, I would just like transform into the best dancer in the world and I would just I would just like moonwalk for like five hours after school and it was just so much fun the kids would just they were like magnets to me I think and but I'm also I also had another job and I'm struggling to remember which one was actually first but this other job was a mall job at this place called Cunningham Research and it was basically I was basically one of those people those annoying people at the mall who hold surveys like hold a clipboard and, and with surveys and like come up to you and you're like excuse me ma'am do you mind like taking five to ten minutes to come take a survey for me or whatever and then you take them into this back room and we would show them clips from new movies like trailers from movies and different versions and let them weigh in and it was it was actually so cool it was it was really actually a cool first job for a someone who was going to be a journalist one day but didn't know it yeah because I was actually kind of good. You could have become I, a psychologist, like one of the too. two. Yeah, those, that, those were my, yeah. I, I always wanted to be a psychologist, if, if not a journalist. Did you learn much from being a bee? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it was sort of my Sasha Fierce. I learned how to lose all self-consciousness and just be in the moment and just do whatever it takes to 
make the people around you like happy and you know and connect with them like I, I it wasn't about being cool like I feel like outside of the costume in high school it's like about being cool it's about like saying and doing the right thing you can't and, like, be cool in a B costume no you can't be cool mm-hmm. you're not even trying to be cool yeah. you know it was so you can't be oh, cool I like it I see I like what you did there and then you went to college in Sacramento which I have to mention because I'm from Sacramento and we've talked a little bit about it we have Sacramento in common and what did you study I studied with a concentration in public relations and a minor in journalism. And so then you you decide, I want to go into journalism. This is what I want to do right after college. Well, it was a journey to f- being able to f- identify what I wanted to do. And it was something that I think looking back, I was always destined to do, Always was always supposed to do, but... Um, it took some time to soul search and excavate and really identify that these were my gifts and that I could actually get paid for them. You know, I think I got, looking back, I was always the, the girl at the party who would corner somebody and like or find myself in the corner with someone and just like get their whole life story. And we'd be like holding hands and crying and going so deep. And I just thought, oh, like I'm just nosy and people like to tell me stuff but I I didn't realize at the time that that was actually those were interview skills that I was honing and someone will pay you for that you know and and um, I wrote for the college newspaper and you know I did a couple of internships that felt like they were in more sort of stable lanes like you know advertising PR I thought like these are jobs that you can definitely get employed in and definitely keep a job and get paid good money, but they definitely did not ignite me. And so it kind of forced me to really confront myself and, and really dig a little bit deeper to find out what my real passion is and what my purpose is. And so after all of that, I did um, kind of pull away from everyone in my group at school and I don't know. I, I, I really focused on trying to figure it out. And it wasn't easy. Like I, I, And that's why I'm kind of taking a step back and not just being like, yep, I knew I always knew what I wanted to do. And Thank then you. it all worked out. Most like, of us don't. No, I went through a serious like existential college crisis, uh, which I think a lot of people do at different points in their life. And people don't talk about that. And I don't know why. Because it's something that recurs again and again throughout life. And it's something that even if you figured it out at first and you you eventually might need to change course. Most people do a few different times in their lives. So the earlier that you I think it should be normalized. I think this idea that like, you know what you you should know what you're supposed to do from the age of being, you know, from being a child is just I think it's a. I think it's a falsehood and it is and I think it's a journey to figure out who you are why you're here what you're good at and you get to change your mind and you get to change your mind I always say life is a series of dreams realized you do not have to be defined by one dream you do not have to be defined by one title you do not have to be defined by one career path you can change it up as you go and every step leads to the next you know great opportunity so anyway all of that to say I did eventually like Coming out of my like dark hole um, of depression and ex- you know anxiety, not knowing what I was supposed to do, I actually I did a lot of prayer and and meditation, and eventually I did kind of have my aha moment, which 
which led me to journalism, magazine journalism. And, and again, in that moment, looking back, I was like, of course I should be a magazine journalist. Like, of course I should be an editor. I just didn't know that job even existed. And I certainly didn't think that it was accessible for someone like me coming from a small town in California, you know, first person in my family to graduate from college. People around me didn't really aspire to move to New York to pursue these big dreams. So for me, it felt almost too big to say out loud to myself or to anyone else. So it, that was even then a process. Once I realized I wanted to do it, then I was like, oh my God, how am I going to figure this out? How am I going to, I don't want to be one of those dreamers who just says they want to do something and they, and then, and then you're like a failure to launch. So then I kind of kept it to myself. It's a journey, man. It's a journey. But eventually I did, um, I made it happen. I feel really, really lucky. I think back on those years and I'm, and that particular moment where I figured out what I really wanted to go for. And I'm just so grateful that I had the courage to, first of all, that I had the clarity to, to hear it, to follow it, um, and that I had the courage to go after it. Because if I, I mean, that was the singular tipping point that changed my life. Like going, reaching out to the woman that I, kind of was really obsessed with and inspired by who was doing what I wanted to do and and eventually that led to a job and then it led to the rest of my career so I just you know but I think back to that moment I'm like what if I never what if I didn't believe that thought that voice you could still be in Sacramento Sacramento oh man we could both be Oh, we're not going to get into that. I don't that. know if we, I don't know, I don't know if it's a good thing that we have Sacramento in common. What, I know. what was your experience? I don't know if Sac- we should even, should we be ashamed? I don't know. I'm a little, I will say, I, it's not Sacramento or the college I went to that I am ashamed of. It is how I ended up there that I'm ashamed of. Why? What happened? I did the one thing that I tell every young girl not to do, which is I followed my high school sweetheart to college. And I didn't even apply to the colleges that I dreamed of going to when I was younger. Like I grew up thinking I was going to go to Stanford or USC or UCLA. And I was like a 4.0 student. I was, you know, I was in all these extracurricular activities. But then I fell in love and I got distracted and I followed him to a state college that was two two and a half hours away from me. In a cow town. In a cow town. And then I got there. And realized that this fool wasn't even going to school. What? He was lying. That he was. He said he was going to school, and he really wasn't. So then here I was, stuck in Sacramento, chased this boy into college, and like got stuck there by I'm, myself. So, I'm so sorry. It's all good. It all. You made it a all choice to go out. to Sacramento. I was. I wasn't born there. Thank God. But weren't you born? I was born in San Diego. So how did you end up in Sacramento? I know, right? Like, it could have been... You chose it. No, my parents Free chose will? it. No, you're okay, your parents. So that's they not your fault. You are born into it. It's like, not you, my fault. It's not your fault. I forgive, uh, I had, I forgive yourself. I someone, but Sophia. it was my parents. Um, but you... So before you worked for the editor-in-chief at Ebony, which I want to get into, Yeah, you wrote Ebony and Essence looking for a job. Well, I didn't write Ebony looking for a job. I never wanted to, I was never like seeking out an opportunity to work at Ebony. I was seeking out an opportunity to work with Harriet. She happened to work at Ebony at the time. My dream job at the time was Essence for sure. And that's the one I was going super hard for. And why was that? Because Essence represented everything good about black womanhood. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood um, with a incredibly inspiring, powerful, sensitive, glamorous, 
um, sophisticated, successful woman, my mom, black woman, my mom. And yet she was kind of the only role model that I had. So apart from her, Essence was where I looked to for inspiration, for guidance um, on my walk in the world. And it meant so much to me growing up. So the idea that I could work for that magazine was just like, it was just, it represented the pinnacle of like success and and I just felt a ton of pride just thinking about being a part of that mission. But you didn't go to Essence. You instead found someone that I want to hear a little bit more about. I got the job. I got the internship, which felt like the, the the clouds were parting for me. And then, you know, I was 30 days away from going out to New York uh, from California and about to start my dream internship. And then I got a call back from a woman who... I had stalked previously, like six months prior, I had I found her. When I was in that sort of college crisis existential, like, what am I doing? What am I doing on this earth? What do I do after college? Just in this moment, I, I really late at night, I was in my mom's study, like literally Googling, what do I do with my life? Like magazine internships, like, how do I work at a magazine? Like, I was in the study for like 12 hours, no joke, like, just Googling shit and trying to figure out my life. And I was actually working on my Essence internship. And then when I was done with that, it was after midnight, I looked down and I see this Ebony magazine um, with Alicia Keys on the cover. And it was stunning. And I didn't even notice it was Ebony. I just picked it up. I went straight to the cover story. And my eyes were immediately drawn to Harriet's name. And something told me, it was almost visceral. Something instructed me to... Google her and to and to just investigate her and I found her bio which literally read like a blueprint for the career I wanted to have. She created her own path for herself that spanned uh, mediums that allowed her to be a writer, to have a presence on television, to write best-selling books like she was a multi-hyphenate before that was a thing before like every every millennial popped out the womb and like said that they were a multi-hyphenate you know and it really inspired me and so I decided I was going to be like her and I stalked her and I begged her for an informational interview and she gave me 45 minutes of her time and it she changed my life like in that moment I she affirmed everything that I thought I could be and at the end of it I said if there's ever an opportunity to work with you keep me in mind I thought I'd never hear from her again and then um literally four or five months later right before I was getting ready to move to New York for Essence she calls me out of the blue and she's like Elaine I thought of you I'm looking for an assistant do you want to meet me in Malibu for a shoot on Friday It'd be good for us to meet in person. If things go well, there could be an opportunity waiting for you in New York, working with me on all things fashion, beauty, and cover. And again, she was at Ebony at the time, which wasn't a magazine I was necessarily like super excited by. But also, I recognized that the opportunity to work with this woman was going to be so rich in learning day to day that it superseded what the you know the sexiness of the title. And so. The long story short is I chased I, I was like, hell, yeah, I want to work for you. And I rent I went down that shoot changed my life. It turned out to be a cover shoot with Serena Williams, which she did not tell me as an intern. I was like I was so excited and um, I felt like the black Lauren Conrad. And then the rest is history. She offered me the opportunity on the spot 
So I had to call Essence back, which is my dream at that point. And I just said, I'm so sorry, but I got another opportunity. I'm your competitor. And and I went for it. And again, it was not about chasing the sexy. It was not, you know, it, I was going to work for a woman who really, really inspired me. And um, she gave me opportunities early on in my career that I never would have had anywhere else. And so I'm so grateful to her mentorship and her example. I mean, her job wasn't easy. She was turning around a struggling magazine brand and she made it more relevant. She made it sexier. She brought fashion into those pages and she really taught me how to celebrate black culture and, and to sort of amp like show the world, uh, you know, the excellence of our people. And I've kind of carried that with me throughout my whole career. And you... I was hella long-winded, sorry. She had the blueprint. She had the blueprint. And you, you, I mean, I don't want to say you followed it because you've blazed your own path, but you got there. So a lot of us want to chase someone down who inspires us, who we think can help us, who might have the blueprint for our careers. But that's a really hard thing. It's a noisy world. These people are getting, you know, that kind of request all the time. What would your advice be for someone who wants to chase down one of their idols and maybe wants to work for them? You know, it's such a different world today. Um, I don't even recommend going about it that way or even chasing someone down. I don't know that it, it I mean, it's sort of a Cinderella career fairy tale like the way it happened for me and I and I recognize that it's kind of it's singular in nature and so I actually think it's more important to look to your right and your left and to I I don't know if this term it feels like exactly right but peer mentorship I think learning from the women around you and your sisterhood is often overlooked like I think we we overlook the the gems that are all around us because we're trying to like reach someone who's out of reach and frankly who has too much going on to be able to really meaningfully impact your life so I don't know I don't think it's about chasing down mentors I really don't I think it's about um, accessing the mentors that are already in your life whether they're friends family members bosses for me the the best mentors I've ever had have traditionally been bosses at some point in my life whether it was a professor who was my you know my teacher um and just you know what taking advantage of her office hours sitting with her as long as I could asking her questions in that time frame that she gave me like that changed my life working for a woman like Harriet who gave me opportunities to learn how to be a leader under her one that's gracious and compassionate and also um very much in control and with a clear vision like that changed my life working for you know, Amy Astley, who gave, who was the edit, founding editor in chief of Teen Vogue, she really had a way of being able to empower young leaders like no other magazine editors were doing at the time. Um, and I certainly wouldn't be where I am if it, if she hadn't empowered me the way she did when I was became beauty director at 25, and I'm like this young black girl, you know. And she gave me the space to find my voice and. You know, I can go on and on. Anna Wintour, uh, Cindy Levy, they're all every female boss I've ever had has been a mentor in some way or another. But it, that re- it requires access and investment like there, which you can't really manufacture in the digital world. And you certainly can't manufacture it by chasing someone down and just being like, can you be my mentor? I don't really recommend that. I get a lot of requests for that. And I hope we're building that digitally with Girl Boss. Yeah. Just for those of you listening who might be 
emailing me. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to do that, but we it's really hard to, right? Because you want to be able to meaning, meaningfully connect with someone. Yeah. And, and you can really, you can't scale meaningful impact in your DMs. <laughs> okay, quick question. Have you ever felt like you were the most ambitious person in your circle of friends? Like, hey, where are all the other side hustlers, the go-getters, and girl boss women who are making all sorts of moves, from money moves to career moves and more moves than I can even name here? I've been there, and a lot of you have been there, and that's why we're building something special to bring you closer to other equally ambitious women like yourself. We're building the Girl Boss community for you to be able to connect with those women anywhere that they are and talk about things that matter to you. Sign up for early access at girlboss.com slash community because you don't have to do it alone. You're the first black beauty and health director at a Condé Nast magazine. And then your promotion to editor at age 29 made you the youngest in Condé Nast history. And then you're the second person of African-American heritage in Condé Nast's 107-year history to hold such a title. Learning that I was the first black beauty director in Condé Nast history was the first time that I actually saw myself as an agent for change and saw myself in a position to represent for people who had never had, you know, a, a quote a quote unquote seat at the table at that table before. And it's interesting because as as black women in business and in the arts, we often feel this pressure to conform and to assimilate in order to, you know, accumulate a, trust and credibility within organizations and that are predominantly white. And I had been certainly trying to assimilate and and fitting, trying to fit in, trying to follow the rules. And it wasn't until that moment in my career that I actually recognized I was doing it. I to continue moving forward that way in a leadership role would be a disservice to a community, multiple marginalized communities who had never been represented in these seats before. So it changed my perspective completely. And I was a young leader. There was a lot for me to learn. But I knew coming in that I had a responsibility that was greater than just, you know, what the the JD said, you know, what just what the, 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 the responsibility of the role was. I also was representing for black women and I had to bring our beauty into this mainstream magazine in a way that felt authentic and in a way that was celebratory of our culture and in a way that just couldn't have been done before because there wasn't someone who who intimately understood that culture inside. And I also felt the responsibility to uh, open the door for other people who might not have had that opportunity, you know, otherwise. I wanted to help change the culture of that magazine from the inside out, which I think is the only way to make any meaningful change at an organization is to change. I always say, you know, you can't change the stories without changing the storytellers. I felt like it was my responsibility to make sure that we were changing the complexion of that that magazine from the inside out because it's too easy to just, you know, s- diversify your, you know, covers, sell more on the newsstand and think that you've done your job. But to me, authentic representation is making sure that the fo- folks who are behind the scenes, creating those images, creating those stories are 
the ones from that culture that you're celebrating. Otherwise, you are capitalizing on cultures that you're not promoting internally. And so that was a big part of what I felt my mission was. But it's also something you grow into. Like, I, I grew into finding my voice at Teen Vogue. And I was there for, I think, like five or six years. I, I'm bad at math, but started in 2012. Um, and I think people think of Teen Vogue as like, oh, wow, yeah, that that magazine became so woke. like, And they think it happened overnight, and it didn't. There was a lot of learning behind the scenes and there was a lot of there were a lot of hard conversations and there was there were years invested in the the changes that we were able to make together as a team. So I'm really proud of that time. I'm sure you had a lot to sell internally to a lot of people who didn't look like you to make the waves that you made at Condé Nast. How did you sell the changes you were making? How can someone do that in a in a world where mm. the people making decisions above you may not understand completely what it is that you're trying to change? It's an interesting question. I mean, I think it happened, you know, story by story, hire by hire, day by day, like battle by battle. And then some battles you lose and some you forfeit. And it's not always linear either. Um, but I think I was hired at such a interesting turning point in our country. You know, we were in the Obama era. And there was this sense that uh, we were almost approaching a post-racial reality in America, which we all know now was never true. But I think, you know, as we inched towards... 2016 and what you know that that presidential election I think a lot of truths were unearthed and people had to confront realities that maybe they weren't as comfortable talking about before and it was unavoidable like the and and the other the other side of it is that you know this conversation about diversity and inclusion can kind of sometimes feel like just jargon like we're just throwing around buzzwords that we don't really understand the meaning of but the reality is that, you know, inclusion and diversity and inclusion is a business imperative and it benefits the bottom line when you have a more diverse team, when you have, you know, work that is more representative of the world. And no one's going to say no when you're winning. No one's going to say no when the decisions you're making are actually resulting in success overall. In fact, they're going to try to learn from those decisions. So certainly there were risks that we took and we were first to do certain things um, and we 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 kind of threw out the formulas and it wasn't necessarily an environment where we felt restricted. I think that's the misnomer. I think people assume that at a big company like Condé Nast, people were constantly telling us no, we had to fight. It really wasn't that way. I felt really lucky to be at a company that first of all had a leader that really did empower me. She empowered me as a leader as a director at 25, which was young, and really did hand over the reins and say, you can make this what you want it to be. I think that's really rare. Um, And I think, you know, Anna Wintour, I think, has a certain reputation for being really hard-nosed, but she's also very open-minded. She loves to mentor and, and she loves to learn. And I felt like she was always really receptive to the changes that we wanted to make at Teen Vogue. Certainly, I'm sure we pushed folks out of their comfort zone a bit, but ultimately I think it was hard to ignore that we were 
galvanizing a new community of young people around this new mission that was more, you know, we were we weren't afraid to talk about social justice and politics and and to do it in the same conversation as beauty and fashion. And the world was responding favorably. So I think, yeah, I mean, in terms of just like how we did it, I think I think my mom always says the proof is in the pudding. And I think that's, you know, we had to prove that this was a mission that was going to resonate, that was going to matter to a new generation. And, and I think once we did it, we really did have space and freedom to create what the kind of magazine that I wanted when I was growing up, the kind of magazine I needed when I was younger. You did it by doing it. Did it by doing it. And so now you're, you have a book coming out. And you're a judge on Project Runway. Yeah. So I want to get into the book in just a second. But tell me what it's been like working on Project Runway and why you wanted to to join the cast. It's been so much fun. I literally was so deep in a writing hole when this opportunity came up that I didn't even... It, it took me a minute to get to a yes on it, to be honest, because I was so focused on finishing this book that felt like my baby and I know I needed to get I knew I needed to get it out you know by a certain time it was really important to me to do it quickly so when this came up I was like okay where does this fit into my life where how does this serve my goals like this is a really cool opportunity don't get me wrong I love I love the people who are a part of this reimagining um and but eventually I said yes because of a, a few reasons one it was an opportunity to work with people I love and respect and admire. Like Carly Kloss is quite literally the nicest person I've ever met. And I mean, and kind. She is kind to the core. And we have a lot in common in terms of values and what we care about. Inspiring young women, creating more opportunities for young women. Brandon is somebody that like I just he is a riot he's like such a good friend of mine now and Nina someone I've always respected and same with Christian so it was sort of like an opportunity to work with people I really love and that's important to me at this stage in my career I definitely have a no assholes policy for sure like Chanda Rhymes said I am not about wasting my energy and creativity in environments that don't feel um, supportive and this environment is is extremely supportive and ultimately it's about raising up the next generation or identifying and nurturing and discovering the next generation of designers and that was a big part of my job that I loved just and not even specifically designers but just talent and cultivating them and, and helping them give get a platform that can change their whole life and the trajectory of their business so that was really exciting to me too and then just the notion that like Project Runway is a franchise that means so much to so many people, which even more than I realized when I first signed on to do it. I mean, people come up to me all the time and tell me they're like Project Runway story from their teenage years. Like it means so much to people. And I think the reason it means so much to people is because it represents like dreaming. It 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 represents chasing your dreams. And it's about... I don't know. I just think it inspires people to dream again at a time that feels really dark in a lot of ways. So I wanted to be a part of that. And I wanted to be a part of building a new narrative around the show and like pushing it into its new era and like writing a new chapter for it, which is similar to what I did at Teen Vogue. You know, when I when I when I kind of inherited Teen Vogue, it it was very different than what it became. And I, I like that challenge of like stepping into something that is maybe known 
in one light and and kind of making it moving it into the now in a way. And I think that was the opportunity that was in front of all of us for Project Runway. We wanted to make it more closely aligned with what's happening in the fashion world today and what's and we wanted to start conversations that are on the show that are happening in real life so it's just it does it doesn't feel like it's happening in a silo it's something that feels like it's very a part of what's happening now so that was why I said yes to it and honestly it's been such a joy to be a part of like every day is fun it doesn't feel like work at all and it was the perfect kind of thing it was the perfect thing at that time for me, because as I said, I was in such a deep writing hole. It was nice to have some structure that like pulled me out of that, put me in the world like every three days. And um, it helped me kind of get my work done, frankly. Sometimes when you have more like too much space to create something, you can just spit out. Yes. And you spiral, mm-hmm. especially at the end. You I know what ba- it's like. I need a babysitter. I need someone to be like, okay. Yeah. This is what or like you have you have to get to something else so that you have you don't have as much time to spiral about mm-hmm. something else. You know, it's like you just have to get it done and keep it moving. Hi, Sophia here. I just want to remind you about a special weekend long event that's happening this summer in sunny, beautiful Los Angeles. And I'm talking about you might have heard of it, the Girl Boss Rally. If you've been to a Girl Boss Rally before, bear with me. Or you know what? Let's just reminisce about how incredible it truly is. The Girl Boss Rally feels like church for ambitious women. We're putting on our fifth Girl Boss Rally. It's two days at UCLA, June 29th and 30th. At the last Girl Boss Rally, we had women from 40 states and 31 countries. So especially for those of you outside LA and New York who are looking for like-minded women, and those of you in metropolitan areas, this is a place where you can connect, make new friends, find a co-founder, and level up. We're going to have something like 10 rooms of programming, workshops where you're going to learn hard skills and walk away with real chops that you can go apply to your life right away. It's church, it's school. If you want to learn more, go ahead and register for the Girl Boss Rally at girlbossrally.com. I hope to see you there. So you have a book, More Than Enough, coming out on June 11th, which you can pre-order anywhere books are sold. Amazon's probably the easiest. Hype man, hype man, yes, hype man. Everybody yes. needs one. I know how yes, this works. Yes, yes. Pre-order it now because if you pre-order it, it helps Elaine get on the list Woo! the first week that it comes out. And that's a really, really big deal. And we want that for her. Thank you. I have to say, honestly, Sophia, it meant so much to me. You were the very first person who sent me a blurb for my book. What's a blurb? Which for those those who don't know, (laughs) the blurb is the little quote that is on the back of the book that is basically urging folks to read it. And it is actually one of the most vulnerable positions to be in as a first time author. And as someone who just doesn't, I don't like asking people for things. You know, I'm like, it's so uncomfortable, but I, you have to go out to your network and the people that, you know, support you and that you've supported and just say like, hey, do you want to read my book and give me a quote? And it meant a lot to see how people showed up for me in this moment, you know? I'm really honored to be but you were the first. one of them. You were the first. You were so punctual just, like, with it. I just jump to the most recent thing. Like it's a, it's like a, I mean, you're a priority, but at the same time. I also just like run to the thing that's like calling my name soonest, which as a leader can kind of like maybe not the best. You do? Sometimes, yeah. And when you called me 
I think it was in a Barney's dressing room. <laughs> and you're like, hey, hey, I really need to, I'm trying to figure out my future. And I don't know. Oh, and yes, I might write a book, but like, what do I do? Like, you've done this. I don't know. This is three like, years ago. I don't do- know. But I was like, dude, go do it. Like, and I don't know how much of an impact that made, but it's, it was like so flattering to be able to give advice to you. Like, oh I don't, gosh. I don't, it's just actually, can I'm we talk about that moment? I totally yeah. forgot about that yeah. moment. That was such a hard mo- moment for me. Like that makes you want to cry. Actually. I remember that moment because First of all, pe- everything looks amazing on Instagram and on social media. We make success look so fun and easy, and it is not always that perfect picture. It'll age you. <laughs> not you. Me. <laughs> like, it's I, aging. I, I interrupted. Me. No, no, no. It's all good. But I just remember being in a really, that was a really hard transition for me, trying to figure out. Like I was at a crossroads in my career, basically. And um, I don't know, you were placed on my my heart so heavy to reach out to, even though I feel like I we we like knew each other, but not we never really had a chance to like deeply connect. But I just knew with everything you've gone through in your career, you would be one of very few people who could understand where I was in that moment. Um, And I just and again, like I'm really bad at asking for help or like reaching out. But I was just like. Uh, like I was in a humbled place and I definitely reached out to you just like, can we talk right this second? Mm-hmm. What it was the when the magazine do? folded, right? Yeah, I right think that was around that after. time. Yeah. And it was sort of like this thing that I had worked so hard for that meant so much to so many people and yet still was going away. Did it leak? It seemed like yeah, it, it leaked. Did. Yeah, that's that really hard. Leaked. Yeah, that was really hard. I mean, I write about it in my book. I write about what that was really like for me, S- especially when you the work that you do is an extension of who you are and your identity becomes blurred with, you know, and, and, and your value in the world becomes sort of associated with your job. It's really like you sometimes it's difficult to separate those things and you need to separate those things. Will people care about me anymore? I won't have this big title. I don't know. Like, I mean, I felt that way. I was like, whoa, I, I left my company. Like, you know, it's, it's scary not to have the kind of validation that a big company might give you and a big title might give you and the kind of access that, you know, that brings. Yeah. I was less concerned about like the worldly things, like the will you know, will people care? I I did worry if people would get it. I worried that people might not get that I had more to offer than just what I brought to Teen Vogue, certainly. And I knew, but at the same time, I knew in my heart of hearts, in my core, since I was 19 years old, when I found Harriet Cole and saw this multifaceted career she'd built for herself, that I, I always knew magazines were just the first step. And I always knew that I was going to come to the end of this road and that I was going to need to jump and take a leap of faith and I knew what was going to come after that I've always had this like long-term vision for my career but what was so scary is I didn't expect to get to that moment so soon I didn't expect to look up at 30 years old and be like oh my god my now what my bucket list 
is checked. Everything on my bucket list is check, checked off of my first big dream. And now it's time. Like, you're ready. And there was a part of me that was extremely exhilarated about and just felt a real sense of completion and pride in what I was able to do and actually readiness to do the next thing. But I wondered if the world... Like, I, I didn't know if the world could catch up. I didn't know if the world would get it. I thought that I might be like, people just would be, be confused. Why would you walk away from this, you know, this brand, this big title, this big company, um, Teen Vogue's killing it. Why would you leave? But when you feel called to move, it's actually scarier to stay standing still because the worst thing in life to me is to not be growing and to be stagnant or to feel stuck in an identity that is belongs to the world but it doesn't mean anything doesn't matter as much to you or isn't it exhilarating or doesn't make you feel alive and so that's what I was trapped between you know like it's like I did know it was time I did know I, there was so much more for me but taking that step was just really scary and you've You've weathered a lot of life transitions and career transitions, and you've been really vocal about how hard it is and how messy it can be. But then you always come out on the other side victorious. And I think that's why I reached out to you. I admire you. I admire the way that you've done that. Thanks. Um, and I think it's important that we have more narratives around like the hard stuff. So tell me about your book. Can I tell you, this is the hardest thing for me to figure out how to talk about concisely because you spend like however many months long form telling your story in a way we never get to do on social media right like everything's like about like pithy little captions on Instagram and then you get a chance to write your book and then it's like ah I've said it all I struggled with the term memoir like it's so self-important we're too young to write memoirs we're too young to write memoirs and like I had my brother say to me like Elaine why would you write an autobiography like like, that's what old people do, right? Like, dude, that's so weird. Why? And I was, like, so sensitive about it because the whole time, I w- and I told my whole team, I'm like, I don't want to call this memoir. And I think there's a part of that that comes from this, we, condition our, we are conditioned as women to just think, like, who am I to? Oh, like, not me. Like, I'm not. I haven't lived enough life. I haven't or... lived enough. I haven't done enough. Or it's not. But it's, like, ultimately... That my and my girl, one of my really good friends, and who's someone who's been a mentor to me, Mara Braca Keel, um, the creator of Girlfriends and Being Mary Jane, and um, she said to me, she's like, "It's your memoir so far," and that's a whole new category. And we're living in the age of social media, where we are watching each other's lives play out in real time every day, but we are not telling the whole story. And here is an opportunity that you are taking to tell more of your story and. So that because I don't we want to be a part of, you know, telling lies about success. And I think that sometimes social media can be that all we see are the high headlines and highlight reels. And it was so important to me to say more about the why and the how behind the what you see. And I, I'm doing it because I needed this. Like, I wish I had more role models who could peel back the layers um, and talk about some of these things that are actually so universal, you know, even pr- how to navigate promotions. Not, I, we talk about like the pay gap. We talk about it in 
platitudes, we talk about the stats, but rarely do we actually talk about anecdotally how it goes down in real time, how it happens to us. Women who are held up as like, you know, quote unquote barrier breakers and and um, trailblazers and it still happens to us. In fact, it happens more often to people who are first only or different, which is what Shonda Rhimes has coined as FOD. More often than not, you're underestimated, undervalued, underpaid, overworked, overcriticized, overwhelmed, you know, and I think that we carry this burden of like keeping it all together to make it look good because you are representing for an entire race sometimes and, you know, uh, multiple communities of people who are looking to you to make it and to make it look good. But there's very little space that we that we hold to share the truths of those journeys so that we can make it easier and less confusing for the next person to navigate who will indefinitely be coming up behind you. I hope that's the goal. Like, I don't want to be the first and the, the last. You know, I'm, I, I opened, I was first so that I could help change the culture and open doors for other people. And I'm hoping as they walk through that they're a little bit wiser than I am, that they have more tools than I had, that they have more stories to reference. And to me, that's my responsibility. So before I go on to do all the other things that I I, I intend to do, that I'm setting out to do, all the stories I have to tell, the businesses I will build, this was an important inflection point in my life and in my career. And I felt like it was an offering that I had to give to this next generation and I had to do it now whether people got it or not I had to push through the self-doubt I had to push through the voice that said like why would you write a memoir at 32 and it's like it's not a memoir asshole and you know what this story matters and I spent 10 years of my life as a journalist investing in stories from marginalized communities from voices that had not been traditionally centered and I did it because I believe that there are gems and stories that go untold. And so I had to kind of practice what I preach and I had to be brave enough to tell my own story. And that's what this is. But beyond my story, it's so many people's stories. It's so many people's stories. And I really do hope that it that it reaches the people, the, the tribe out there that needs it. And um, I hope it is a bit of a source of inspiration and... Um, I do hope ultimately it starts conversations that we're not having. Are you going on a big book tour? I am. I'm going on a 10-city book tour. It's, it starts uh, June 11th, and then I'll be on tour through July and probably beyond. And shooting a show? And shooting the show. There's a couple questions I ask everyone who comes okay. on Girl Boss Radio. All right, let's do it. And one is around this topic of success. Uh, and I think you understand this concept that that is not the concept of success. That is what is success. What does that mean for you today? Um, because it can mean something different tomorrow. And mm-hmm. it's hopefully not the cover of Forbes magazine or rolling in money or necessarily even getting that job. And you know what it could be. And that's okay. But it could be something totally different tomorrow. So what does success mean for you today? Success is liberation it's feeling free and whatever it is that you're doing and not feeling like you're living a life that um is consumed with a sense of obligation like to me it's important that the work i do every day brings me joy 
I feel like I'm in a position in my life now where I can choose joy and I can be selective with my yeses and intentional about how I invest my energy and where I invest it um, and where I don't. And I think that's been life-changing for me. And I also think that that clarity comes after 30. I think you spend your 20s grinding. And saying yes. And saying yes and just doing whatever it takes. And it's not to say that I work any less hard, but there's... I, I talk about this in my book, actually, in a chapter called Burning Out. And I, I, I say this line that I've kind of has come, become like a mantra for me, which is, you know, there is hustle and there is flow, but you cannot sustain one without the other. And so I think I'm I'm always hustling, but I'm also making like seeking out opportunities for flow to come in. So I, I have to like sleep enough. I have to meditate I have to spend time with people who make me laugh like I have to be able to I don't know I have to be able to feel led to do to do the things that um, I'm saying yes to to versus like just doing it and not really sure why and just running as fast as I can and not coming up to breathe not like making space to really think Um, I think that's the difference between the the way I approach chasing success in my 20s versus experiencing success in my 30s mm-hmm. I think that is I think that's something we all earn yeah yeah you can't come out the gates if you do like, call me yeah, yeah I, want, I, mean, hey. I mean I don't know <laughs> kudos to your parents and another question I ask everyone that comes on girl boss radio is what was your most recent girl boss moment a girl boss moment's pretty much whatever you want it to be it really is kind of what you described which is Doing something not because you're obligated to or a feeling or but just something that was your own. And if you were obligated, it was because you showed up and like wanted to be obligated. The time I interviewed Oprah and she said my name when she was walking up and I just like bowed down to her. I couldn't believe she knew my name. And we had this really special exchange where she gave me some like beautiful Oprah wisdom and Honestly, that's enough for me. You know, I'm kind of like, good. I'm good. Like, do I need to, did I need to chase her down for a selfie today? No, I really didn't. But I kind of wish I did. I'm sure I have other girl boss moments from this week that I just can't think of right now. But I'll just say my interview with Oprah was my, my biggest girl boss moment today. Elaine, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. On I can't Radio. believe this is my first time on girl boss I know. Radio. This is so weird. It is super weird, but I'm glad we did it now. Me too. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Elaine for joining us. As always, just a quick reminder to rate and review Girlboss Radio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps other listeners discover us. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, send an email to podcasts at girlboss.com. We love hearing your thoughts on the show. We want to get better every day, as do you, with everything that we do. All right, I'll see you guys next week.